Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to the October 2022 edition of the Tamil Innovator Spotlight. Today, I'm very excited to be uh, chatting with and sharing a pretty remarkable story of Sai uh, Satyakumar. Um, for those of you that don't know me, actually, I won't even do his story justice. Let me just let uh, let me just start off by getting Sai to introduce himself and uh, tell people a bit about yourself before we kind of delve into your story a bit more. Yeah, thanks, Ara, um, and thanks, Tamil Culture, um, for, for giving me this opportunity to kind of get involved and share my story. Um, first and foremost, I want to give big shout-outs to Tamil Culture and what you guys have been able to do um, in the amount of time that it's been alive. Um, you know, the word's getting out. I, I have folks that are not from our community that's been, um, you know, tuning in or, or asking questions and seeing all these articles and uh, features happening, and it's really bringing, um, I think, a spotlight into our community that we never had. Um, and, and so big shout out to you guys. So thank you for that. Um, so my name is Sai Satyakumar. I'm the managing partner of Power Staffing Solutions. Uh, I'm also a, a major partner at Aero Group of Companies, uh, which is our larger conglomerate. Um, you know, I guess if I were to kind of give a summary of, of uh, who I am and, and, and what kind of got me into this industry, um, you know, I, I like to say I'm just a kid from Scarborough. So I, I, I grew up in Scarborough my whole life. And um, I never really had an aspiration to um, be in the staffing and recruitment or and or human resources industry. I never went to school for it. I never had any formal education in it. Um, but I kind of stumbled upon the opportunity by accident. Um, and those of you that probably wonder what I did study or what I did go to school for, it was graphic design. Uh, you know, I went into graphic communications management. I did design. Um, I was a creative guy. Um, so, you know, I, I think jumping into the industry, I had to transfer some skills that I've had. And, and that was mainly the creative elements of storytelling and being able to uh, convince, persuade, and paint a picture of why. Um, clients and organizations of certain sizes in Canada would benefit from the services that we provide. So uh, I think the main element was just bringing on that creative element um, into the industry and, and uh, really painting a holistic approach uh, on that level. But, um, you know, I'm, I've been living in Scarborough my whole life. The business is based out of Scarborough. Um, I'm a big advocate of giving back to our community. Um, so I was specifically raised in the Woburn community, uh, which is, for those of you that don't know, it's at Markham and Ellesmere, um, just about, you know, east, the east end of Scarborough, I guess you can say. But, um, uh, and, and that's it, you know, building a, building a business, um, building multiple businesses now, but also giving back to the community and supporting and being a mentor for individuals that either want to explore the space of staffing recruitment or just generally in the space of business. As a fellow Wilburn alumni, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I think we were chatting before this and uh, you know, we'll kind of get, get into this later, but uh, we'll get into the idea of patience and you had a really good answer for that. Um, but why don't we kind of start at the beginning? We talked about that story of, like you said, you, you were creative and now you're like a well-known business slash entrepreneur guy. Uh, but, you know, those things, well, it wasn't planned. It was kind of a very off the spur, kind of cold visit to an office. So I'll, I'll let you tell that story before we delve into, you know, exactly what your company does, a business model, and then kind of go from there. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, when, so I went to school for, or for design and um, coming out of school, I kind of looked at the economy at that time. And um, I thought to myself, you know, I have to be the best of the best to even, you know, financially make sense. Um, and my family from a low income family and a low income neighborhood, um, I couldn't really afford to take that, take that chance or even just more time um, in that space. So to be honest, I, I went on indeed.com and um, I was looking for jobs and uh, stumbled upon this opportunity. At, at that time, the organization was quite small. So um, it, it was called Aero Workforce. And um, it was right up the road from me at Markham and Ellesmere. So I went into this interview. You know, I, I was like a 20-year-old kid going into the interview. I had no idea what I was, what I was going in for. Um, I didn't even read the job description. Um, I just knew that the position was called business development representative. And I knew the word business. And I thought, okay, you know, at that time, I, I was running a little bit of a clothing line business with my good friend, uh, Tushant, who's also from Woburn. And uh, I was like, yeah, I know what a business is, you know, like, we're doing it right now, you know, we're printing clothes, and we're selling it to colleges and universities. And and we're making a little bit of money. So I said, okay, I went in for, with the confidence. And um, it turns out, you know, I guess the, the, the individual that was interviewing me wasn't really looking for a whole lot. I mean, it was just the, the, the drive and um, the confidence level that I had, at, I guess, at that time, being 20 years old and just hungry to, to kind of step out of uh, poverty, to be honest with you. And um, so long story short, I got the job. And um, at that time, you know, kids now would would freak out. But at that time, I think the going salary for a role like that was twenty five thousand, twenty eight thousand um, dollars. So that works out to about, you know, twelve, thirteen dollars an hour. But um, I was just excited to be there. Right. I was excited to wear wear a dress shirt and a tie and walk into work every day and have a sense of purpose and, and, you know, say, hey, I work at this company, you know, this company, I didn't really know what the company did, but, but um, uh, sooner or later, I learned uh, what it meant to be in the, in the staffing recruitment world. And um, essentially, um, if anyone were to ask, what is it and what do we do? We partner with companies across Canada to help them recruit their employees. That's the business. We connect A and B together, A being a job seeker, to be being the employer um, and kind of worked my way up and, and I never looked back. I've been at the same firm for 10 years, six years as an employee. And um, in, my, in my sixth year, I, I've, I've brought in a lot of sales into the organization and I was given an opportunity and, and also seek the opportunity of becoming a partner uh, of the business. And um, that's how Power Staffing Solutions was born. So uh, now four years as an owner, uh, I see a whole different side of the ball game. Um, a lot of people ask me, you know, you, you didn't take business in school or economics or I hated functions. I hated calculus. You know, there's all these courses in high school and university that I either wasn't good at or I just didn't like it. Um, but it's interesting how when you are in the field or you're uh, forced to practice it, uh, you learn a lot more right? Instead of reading a textbook over and over and writing tests and exams, um, which is great, but I feel like the, the strongest tool is uh, being out in the field, right? Being thrown into the deep end and learning how to swim. 
And um, now when I look back, it, it's incredible how much I've learned uh, about the economy and, and, and business and, you know, reading income statements and balance sheets. It's, it's, it's insane. So um, yeah, I mean, that, that's the story, you know, it, it was an accident, to be honest with you. And uh, I just never looked back. I kind of fell in love with the industry and um, just continuing to grow even more. Yeah, you brought up a good point of necessity. Um, you know, I think I talked to a lot of people that always ask, like, how do I start this? How do I do that? Most people work in kind of a theoretical point of view, like they might have been good at school or like they overthink every scenario. But like you said, just if you just do it, that's when you're forced to learn. Like you're not going to want to learn about how to read a financial statement if you're not making money. Exactly. If you're making money, you're like, exactly. how do I cut my costs? How do I make more money? There's an incentive. So uh, great lesson there. Um, what is the business model like? I mean, you know, there's a lot more staffing organizations kind of popping up and, you know, just out of curiosity, like what, what are the different business models and like, what are the, what are the ones that you use? And like, how do you guys stand up? Because you went from, like you said, a small organization to, I think in the healthcare space, you guys are like number two, I believe, right? Yeah. So um, the staffing recruitment, or uh, in other words, human capital business, been around for a very long time, hundreds of years, to be honest with you. Um, but I think now there's a lot of companies popping up that are more niche and uh, industry specific. Um, and quite frankly, I mean, you know, you can be an agency uh, with a two person operation, right? Um, the essential uh, fundamental of the business is, um, you know, as an agency, you're supporting businesses and these businesses can be enterprise level, large uh, global businesses, or they can be startups. Um, and uh, essentially, you're, you're finding staff for these companies. So there's two types of services that um, is predominantly known in the industry. It's temporary, which is temporary contractor services. Um, and what that means is we would provide staff to go work at a company, but we would be the employer of record. Okay. Um, so if I were to give you an example, if IBM is our end client, I would provide Joe Lucas, who's our contractor, who would go work at IBM, but they're representing power. They're representing our business, our agency. And I would be, uh, our business would be payrolling this person and we would invoice IBM. Okay, so that's a, that's a contractor business. Every hour they work, we bill IBM per hour. Um, so that's, that's a big part of the staffing world. It's the, it's a, you know, it's the temporary contract business. It's usually large volumes. Um, I would say the biggest industry that takes advantage of this is the in, uh, light industrial industry. So warehouses, distribution centers, supply chain, um, you know, any warehouse you see, uh, you know, across the city, uh, especially Mississauga, Brampton, these warehouses have thousands and thousands of workers in there. And these workers are um, majority from agencies. Okay. Um, the other side of the business is what we call permanent recruitment, which is direct hire. What that would mean is if our end client is TD Bank and TD Bank is looking for a director of customer success, we would find Joe Lucas and we would give them to TD Bank. TD Bank likes this associate and hires them full time onto the TD Bank payroll and we would invoice the bank one flat fee, pretty much a finder's fee. Uh, and we would uh, offer a guarantee period and whatnot. So uh, that's permanent direct recruitment. And then there's temporary contract recruitment. Um, those would be the two main uh, business models. Uh, we do both of them at our firm. Um, and, uh, and then the other one that's kind of coming to the light nowadays um, is retainer business. 
Uh, a retainer business is when you're doing searches, but you collect the money upfront, very similar to how lawyers work. Um, and that model is you are getting paid for your time to recruit, whether you find the person or not. Um, retainer business is a little bit harder in the industry, um, but it's becoming a lot more popular now, just considering the fact that um, time is money, right? So it's not, it's not just so much contingent labor recruitment. It's about, hey, if you'd like to use my time to find staff for your company, you have to pay me based on my time. Um, so yeah, that would be the third one. That's not a, that's not a service that we provide at our firm, but uh, that, that that should answer your question. Awesome. And like you know, as you guys have been growing, and you know, during the the pandemic, it's you know a very important topic in the last couple of years. You know, some businesses got hammered, some did really well. What was the impact? Just out of curiosity, of the pandemic on uh, power staffing. That's a good question. Um, it's it's quite interesting actually. So. It was uh, multiple, multiple things, right? So when the pandemic first hit in March of 2020, we took a big hit. Um, at that time, we were not heavily in the healthcare space. Um, we were predominantly in the technology space. Uh, we were just stepping into healthcare. So um, our technology side of our business got hammered pretty hard, um, just considering the fact that tech companies were freezing all recruitment. They were holding onto their budgets. They were not spending anything. Um, so we were in a pretty tough situation, but what we did was we totally pivoted, right? We had to make a decision at that point where uh, pivoting was best for the business. And we pivoted all of our efforts, all of our energy and all of our resources into healthcare. Um, and that was the reason of our explosive growth, uh, quite frankly. So, um, you know, the, the pandemic kind of opened our eyes on how we are able to support the healthcare system. Um, especially on the front line during that time. And, you know, there was major shortages. Staff were needed across the country. Um, the military was walking into facilities and um, we needed to step in. And, you know, me, myself, my partner and I, we were, we were talking about it, you know, we were talking about it just recently, but this was a conversation that happened two years ago where we sat down and we said, hey, the world is in trouble. And, and the biggest industry that's getting hit right now is the healthcare industry, the long-term care homes, the retirement homes, the nursing homes, the hospitals. Um, and the way we look at it is the house is burning, right? The house is on fire. We can either choose to run in and save lives or we can walk away. And, and um, quite frankly, firefighters were, they're, they're, their main purpose is to save lives. And if there's a burning house, they got to run in and, and go save the day. But uh, the problem was at that time in the pandemic, everyone was running away. No one wanted to be involved. Everyone wanted to sit idle um, and they wanted to wait until the, you know, the water and the dust settled. But uh, we did the opposite. So we, we went headfirst into healthcare. We didn't look at any liability issues. We didn't look at any risk mitigation. We just knew that the, the industry needed our help. And it was also an opportunity for our business to take advantage of the situation. And since then, We've signed over 150 national contracts. Um, we work with the Power Five long-term care and retirement homes in the country. Um, we have recently won a bid to support hospitals across Canada. Um, and you know, it's changed, it's changed the landscape of our business. So um, the pandemic, I know it's been a tough time for everybody, you know, myself personally, losing a lot of friends and family during that time. Um, but on a business uh, perspective, it was it was really an eye opener 
And uh, it gave an opportunity for business owners and entrepreneurs to make a decision whether they were going to sit idle or they were going to run into into war. And, and that's what we did. Yeah. And like, you know, like you said, your business really exploded and it was officially recognized. So, I mean, congrats on, I think, the recent award of number two on top growing can- company in Canada in 2022 by the Globe and Mail. So thank you. Uh, that's, a, that's a big award. Um, how did the opportunity come about and like what was the actual impact of getting that award for your business too so um as of april this year um we are we are officially uh in the fourth year we completed our fourth year of business um so usually during this time uh the, the plan was always to um start applying for for awards and and um, recognition and and to collect the accolades because that's the trajectory to keep growing the business and and scale moving forward and being recognized as a a brand across Canada. And Global Mail has always been um, on my mind, um, as well as as well as uh, Forbes, uh, 30 under 30 and and fastest growing company. So these are things that uh, was on the radar. Um, But it's a very extensive, tedious process. And I think a lot of people don't know about it. And they were asking me after the fact. But um, you really have to open your books up and you would have to submit your financials for the last three years. So uh, how the Globe and Mail um, recognizes the, the top growing companies is they measure your growth percentage over the last three years in business. Um, it's based on gross, gross revenues. Um, and when we had submitted all of our financials, we kind of got an idea of of where we stand. And, and um, I didn't really know comparables. If you, were to, if you were to compare it in ratios, I didn't know where we stood compared to last year, but I knew that our growth percentage was high. So just so anyone that, that didn't uh, have any optics on the list. So we had a 10,600% growth rate um, from, from 2018 to, to 2020 um, and even 2021. So, um, I, uh, I was actually looking at the previous year's list and what I had noticed was that number three was 10,000% growth. So, um, I didn't know where 2020 landed. I didn't know, um, you know, what, what the outcome was going to be, uh, you know, and there's probably a lot of businesses that grew drastically in, uh, during the pandemic. So it was up in the air. But uh, the process of applying, you know, it was a lot of questions. It was a lot of due diligence. Um, again, very tedious process, but I recommend other business owners to really take advantage of this. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, at the end, we, we were announced number two in Canada um, and being, being listed amongst 430 companies. I mean, some of these companies on this list is extraordinary right you know there's businesses businesses across Canada that's doing some really revolutionary things and um, being recognized as number two amongst those 430 is it, it, you know it's a testament of our entire team's hard work I mean it's not just me I know you know you're talking to me today and you're asking me these questions but power wouldn't be alive without the team that we have um, behind me I mean it, they're ruthless you know I like to say that my team is a bunch of savages right like we don't take no for an answer um, we never stop um, it's go 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 every day and um, you know it, it's it's been a great um, partnership with Global Mail and it's really given us an opportunity to uh, expand further with the exposure that we received so you know based on this 
explosive growth and the success you guys have had, where do you see the company? And, you know, it sounds like an interview question, but like in three to five years, like, where do you want to see the company? Yeah. Um, I, I think I was asked this during the Global Mail interview as well. Um, I think by, I think in the next three to five years, I see a, a dominant footprint in Canada. Right now, um, our main headquarters is in Scarborough. Uh, it, it's, it's based in Ontario, but I'd like to uh, definitely open an office uh, out West in Canada, um, most likely in BC or uh, Alberta. I think there's massive potential there for partnerships on a healthcare level and also on a technology level. Um, Vancouver is a, a big hub for uh, technology space and Alberta is a massive space for, for healthcare. Um, so I see, I see more offices. I see um, our internal team growing. Um, we are also in the process of being uh, or applying to get accredited as an accredited agency. What that means is we can then received funds directly from the government. Um, if those of you that are familiar with LIN, Local Health Integration Network, which is now called Home Care, uh, home, community, home Community Care Shared Services. So um, those two uh, aspects of growth is something that I'm looking forward to. So, you know, really getting involved on the front lines on a strategic level, partnering with uh, healthcare institutions across Canada, Canada and really providing not just staffing, um, uh, staffing support, but, you know, giving them insight on what's happening in the market, in the candidate market. I mean, right now, you can probably see that there's a massive shortage. Um, and, you know, um, I think the only solution to that is partnering with immigration services and bringing foreign workers here, um, but also being able to certify them to work in Canada. Because if you just dump all these foreign workers into Canada and they're not licensed to work, it's going to be counterproductive. I think partnering with immigration, partnering with schools and settlement programs where we can expedite um, educational practices for these foreign workers um, is going gonna, is gonna to benefit Canada. But I think it involves multiple parties. So I myself, I'm working with uh, a few members right now to get that going. That's probably going to come to limelight in 2025. Um, but if that does happen, it's going to be a major advantage to power, um, but also a big solution we'll be able to provide for Canada. In, in terms of like at a macro level, in terms of work, um, I already see the changes with like, you know, how people are perceiving work. The pandemic kind of really shifted people's eyes or their thought process on this. But, you know, there's more and more contract workers or gig workers, you know, um, in terms of people wanting to work long term with the company. Maybe it's just my perspective and you might see more of this, but like, how do you think people like view work in the future? And like, if you're a big company, like, you know, like you said, you work with an IBM or, you know, uh, some of these other tech companies or even health organizations, um, how are they going to recruit young people coming into school or that went through the pandemic and are changing the way they look at work to attract these, you know, um, young people to work for them? Yeah, that that's uh that's a topic right now that everyone's talking about, right? Um, these are conversations that are even happening in, in the World Economic Forum in Switzerland next year, right? I mean, um, but I think primarily what's happening is um, the gig economy, right? Everyone's talking about the gig economy. Well, so for those of you that, you know, I, I suggest a lot of people go out and do the readings into the gig economy. So essentially, um, Europe has adapted to this a lot earlier than we have in North America, um, but it's really pushing um, gig work or contract work. So this would be like a two month 
a project that you work on, um, you finish your assignment and then you maybe go on vacation for another month and then you come back and do another three months or even do a two weeks. And it's pretty much giving the, the autonomy to, um, to employees to kind of do what they want. Um, now, more than ever, we see a lot of, um, you know, job seekers or candidates that are incorporated, right? You know, these individuals are incorporating themselves. They, you know, back in the day, we had no idea what that meant. Right. All, all we knew was we work for a company, we get a T4, we do taxes and we call it a day. But um, now everyone's incorporated they're, they're the, They are their own business. So they do their own taxes. And if they go and work at a company. So if I were to give an example, um, you know, if, if the company is Facebook, for example, or now they're called Meta. If the employee were to go work at this company instead of Facebook or Meta, adding this person on a payroll, What's happening is that that candidate is now an incorporated figure who's billing Meta for their time, okay? So they're doing a two-month project with Meta and they're billing Meta, you know, their hourly rate of 100 bucks an hour, okay? This income is now injected into their corporation and they do their own taxes at the end of the year and they fix their own schedules and they fix their own time and, and you know, they're free as a bird, right? So if I were to answer your question as like a large like, you know, large corporations and large enterprise businesses, I think they have to shift their model of having um, employees working for them uh, uh, on a regular basis or full-time permanent basis, but be more open to having a contractor or having someone that is, um, you know, billing you for their time. Quite frankly, it's actually more of a benefit to these large corporations because it's a, it's a tax write-off, to be honest with you, rather than having someone on your payroll. Um, but that's where the future is going, right? It's the gig economy. It's young generation coming out and saying, hey, I want to be I want to be in control of my own time. Um, and I want the autonomy to do whatever I want, whenever I want. Right. Um, I think gone are the days where, um, you know, the seven sisters, which is the, the law firms in, in, in Canada or the top four uh, consulting accounting companies in Canada that you may know of, um, the brand is not selling itself anymore right? Um, saying you work at IBM is not selling it anymore. Um, so I think now it's based on, it's a candidate focused market. The candidates are coming in and they're asking for things. It's, you know, I was, I was talking to a executive at CIBC the other day and he was saying how, you know, they do interviews now, but it's like the candidate is interviewing the company instead of the other way around, right? Like they're coming in with their own questions. Like, what can you do for me? And uh, that's the market. That's where we're going. It's a, it's a market is going to tell you what they want and we have to service the market. Gone are the days where uh, large blue chip companies can um, really dominate uh, the workforce because um, the brand, the culture, ping pong tables and, and foosball machines are not going to solve everything. So um, yeah, to, in, in a nutshell, I feel like that's, that's where the workforce is going. I would really do a lot of readings on how to be incorporated, how to take advantage of taxes, um, and how to propose that model to, um, you know, interviews or future employers that you interact with. Do you think that, you know, like you said, in any marketplace, there's like forces at work. If in the real estate, if there's more demand than there is supply, then price goes up similar to in this new world, there's more jobs and there are people willing to fill them. So like you said, people come in and say, what can you do for me versus what can, how can I help you as a company? Um, how do you think this will change companies and like 
like how do you personally feel about that like i know you kind of said at a high level this is what you would um if you're a big company this is how you have to think but do you think that's like a, a good way of building a great company or sustaining a great company or do you see companies starting to kind of deteriorate because you know people have no loyalty to one organization like with you you have a amazing team they're bought into your vision like you know this vision that you guys have come up with um would that look totally different if you guys had a bunch of contractors that kind of just came in and out yeah i mean answer how you feel like but yeah no it's, it's a really good question um um i think i think it's a it's a two-prong approach um because my answer um to you on the last question was pretty much as an industry expert, but now as a business owner, you're right. You know, it, it, we're walking into a space where um, having a solid, loyal, concrete team is very rare, right? Um, and, you know, so recently I, I, was a, I was able to be invited and be a part of the Forbes Business Council. And we were having a conversation in our last meeting and um, someone was asking, you know, how do you how do you fix or how do you improve retention right i mean with this whole gig economy happening and um you know how are you able to retain your staff on a on a full-time permanent model because they're you know the, the other companies that we, i was talking with they're experiencing major turnover right so um we did an exercise recently which is quite interesting and i think that there on a holistic level we can kind of bring it down to a micro level and implement it in other companies as well. But our conglomerate, Aero Group of Companies, we did an exercise for the last two years and it's worked out beautiful. Um, every year we do a retreat. This retreat is uh, offsite. It's usually uh, based in the United States. Last, last year, it was, uh, sorry, this year it was Las Vegas. And, um, you know, it's an opportunity for everyone to learn about where we stand as an organization, where we're moving, um, our books, transparency, margins, profits, everything, right? We open it up and um, it gives employees an opportunity to feel that, hey, I'm not just an employee, you know, it, I'm a part of the business. But we did this exercise. We split up the entire organization of about 400 employees in uh, groups. And these groups were maybe 10, 10 to 15 members. And um, four months before the retreat, we had told everyone, you need to go out and seek a business, a real legitimate business for our organization to acquire. Okay. Some folks had no idea what's happening, right? It, it, this is like new, right? You're telling junior employees to go out and reach out to CEOs and owners and ask them if we can buy them. Right. Um, so it was a learning process. You know, everyone had an opportunity to learn about um, getting a broker, right? Finding a broker that does acquisition business. Um, people were learning about balance sheets and income statements. People were learning about how to evaluate a business, uh, EBITDA, right? You know, that's a term that uh, folks have learned in school, but they probably haven't used it in the real world. Because like you said, you would only be involved in that if you, if you own a business. Um, and it was, it was beautiful. You know, we had groups that presented. Um, so the partners, uh, myself included, we would, it's kind of like a dragon's den. We would line up and we would, we would take these presentations and um, we would ask questions. And in the end, there will be one winning group. And that winning group is a company that we would actually acquire. Um, so that presentation was done early February. And we actually went ahead and acquired a company based off of this exercise. Um, the company was based out of Delaware in the United States. We flew out there. We met the company. We did the paperwork. And we acquired them. 
Um, but the kicker to all of this is we gave the winning group 1% equity. So each member received 1% uh, ownership in this company for four years. And, um, you know, it's a beautiful feeling when you go from, you know, an entry-level employee or a mid-level management employee to having skin in the game. And when you have skin in the game, it changes your perspective and loyalty, right? Um, I think a lot more business owners need to have an open mind um, when it comes to being transparent with their employees, but as well as uh, giving an opportunity, right? Giving an opportunity for folks to be a part of the business, chip in a little bit into the business, understand things on a different level, not just your job description. Um, and, you know, either you do that or, or you're going to see a major, you're going to see a major turnover. So um, that's an exercise we did. It's working out well for us. I, I definitely recommend it to other, other entrepreneurs as well. Um, because it, it definitely did work on, on our loyalty level and growing our core team. I love that. So the idea of just making employees, it's like kind of like WestJet, like there's a, that's why I like flying with WestJet. Like I think every WestJet employee has WestJet share. So they treat exactly through the lens of an owner and they kind of, you know, their customer service is great for that reason. Um, speaking of loyalty, you know, like, you know, we talked a lot about your you know business side, but you know, we talked about your love of Scarborough and just you being an advocate of Scarborough, like your office is located in Scarborough, even though it could be located elsewhere. You know, you um, started a new scholarship at Woburn. Um, I think it was uh, around centered on mental um, mental health because of it, a friend of yours. So I guess just tell us like why it's so, like you talked about doing the work, but why is it so important for you to be such a loud advocate of Scarborough um, or, you know, and and that setting up that scholarship for Wolverine. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, man, that's a loaded question. I feel like I can hold, I could do a whole interview based off of that. But um, I think for me growing up in an area where we didn't really have much, um, you know, we were just excited to, you know, be alive, right? Like we were excited to just be a part of a community. Um, and even though we weren't able to do a lot of the things that um, members outside of Scarborough were able to do or outside of the eastern region of Toronto, um, we, we cherished what we had. And um, I think there was avenues where we could have went downhill and we could have went down the wrong path or, or been around the wrong friends in the wrong group at the wrong time. Um, but, you know, I look back and, and um, there was a lot of nurture and a lot of um, you know, care that went around in the Scarborough community, you know, we were looking out for each other, we were always looking out for each other, right, you know, and even though when we were younger, there was older folks that were, that were looking out for you and making sure that you were safe and you're okay, and um, again, with the little resources that we had, um, you know, being able to run a business today, um, especially at the magnitude that it's at, I feel very privileged, I, I feel very blessed, um, you know, life didn't have to be like this, right? And, and um, for me, it's, I know that if I were to go back to where I grew up, which is Tuxedo Court, there's the same kids that are exactly like me, nothing has changed, right? I mean, it's not like um, we've gentrified the neighborhood where um, there's better opportunities or resources. It's exactly the same, right? As new immigrants, you go to the low income areas, subsidized housing, 
um, and you you live there, right? And uh, I went recently, believe it or not. Um, I go often to kind of remind myself where I came from, but I went recently and, and um, you know, I seen kids that look exactly like me back in the day. So for me, it's important to um, understand where we came from and at the same time, continue to give back as much as possible because you never know you know, when it's all going to be over. And, and um, Scarborough is, I feel like now more than ever, a very highlighted borough in Toronto now, um, primarily because of, you know, hip hop artists and um, some icons that came out of Scarborough. And there's so much talk and highlight, you know, our group of companies is, and, you know, most of you know, we, we, um, we own the Scarborough Shooting Stars. So when that, that team came to limelight and um, J. Cole was announced as a player, the amount of attention Scarborough got was insane, right? So um, for us, it's, it's a sense of pride. It's a sense of, um, you know, we didn't leave. We didn't leave the borough and we didn't, ex we didn't depend on, um, you know, different communities to get us out. We got ourselves out. And we want to continue to give back and, and, you know, water your own grass, as they say, right? So we're, we're trying to water our own grass. We're trying to, most of the staff that I've, I've hired in, in our internal operations, even our leadership team, grew up in Scarborough. And um, that's what it's all about. It's, it's nurturing your own team, giving back to your own community, and, um, um, you know, changing the stigma, right? I mean, Scarborough's had a very bad reputation uh, in, the, in the early to late 90s. And um, we're trying to turn that around. So uh, like I like to say with a lot of people, it, it's becoming cool to be from Scarborough now, right? You know, it's, it's, like, it's like the Brooklyn of New York. It's, it's got culture, it's got, it's got music, it's got, uh, you know, dance, it's got poetry. It's just a beautiful area to be from. And I think um, we're the type that didn't join the bandwagon. We were, we were the ones that started here. So um, yeah, it's a very, it has a very special place in my heart. Yeah, you talked about Scarborough being the Brooklyn. I think um, New York Times a few years ago listed Scarborough in terms of food as the most diverse food city or like, I guess, borough in all of North America. If you think about it, it's like when you go to other parts of Toronto, even or like Canada, Scarborough's diversity is like unmatched, like just like, every, you know, like a strip plaza could have like six different types of cuisines or eight different types of people walking around. So um, I love that answer. So the last question before we kind of end off this discussion, uh, even though that would have been a good way to kind of end off is, you know, you seem like a guy, like you said, you've kind of uh, evolved yourself. You went from a creative to a business person um, and like you're just constantly learning. So for someone that's listening, um, maybe tell them how you kind of keep sharp mentally or like, um, you know, keep evolving. Like what kind of activities do you do? What kind of um, people or like how do you engage with people to learn or, you know, just grow? Uh, and we can kind of end it off after that. Yeah, um, I'll answer that in two ways. Um, when I was younger, and a lot of my friends and family would know this very well, I always wanted to be the loud one. I always wanted to be the smartest person in the room. Um, and uh, it was a detriment to me, to be honest. And um, I think I switched that when I started to learn, you know, that the old saying that everyone says, you, you know, if, 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 if you're the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong room. Um, so uh, it goes into my next topic, which is mentors, right? Um, it's a question that I get a lot. Um, quite honestly, I get this 
probably every week from friends, family, colleagues, acquaintances that I speak to. Um, I was probably never able to do this if I didn't meet uh, Sam, who, who's my business partner today, but he was, he was my mentor for pretty much the last 10 years. Um, Sam Ibrahim, he's the group CEO um, of, of the entire Aero group of companies and, and um, all thanks go to him. He's a legend in the space. He's a, he's a legend of Scarborough. Um, and I've learned a lot over the years, you know, Sam, as well as the other partners, just kind of learning, you know, what I can constantly keep evolving with. And um, questions are important. You always need to be asking questions. You know, I was given an opportunity at such a young age to be a partner and to be an owner. And quite frankly, in the outside world, not a lot of other um, that bosses or, or business owners would be willing to do that. Um, purely based off of risk factor and uh, flight, you know, flight risk, right? You know, you, you're giving an opportunity to a young person to run a business who knows where it goes. Um, but that risk was given and um, that partnership was given. And, and, and Sam can agree, it's paid back tenfold, but um, asking questions and then finding people that you can learn from, right? I mean, a lot of people say, I can't find a mentor. I can't find a mentor. Like I've been searching far and wide. I can't find a mentor. Um, my easiest answer to that is, your mentor might be right under your nose and you have no idea who they are, right? You know, this, this might even be your friend, you know, it, it, you know and um, you have to get out there more. You have to expose yourself more. Um, I was only able to join this amazing firm and this amazing group of companies by accident. It was a risk, right? Um, book those random coffee meetings, right? Get on LinkedIn. I tell a lot of people this, if you're not on LinkedIn, you're losing, right? LinkedIn is the, the single most utilized tool in the business world today, right? If you add at least 20 people a day that you potentially want to connect with, and then, you know, a week later, you book coffee meetings with all of them, um, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, pick their brain, ask them questions. You never know what you're going to get out of it. Um, exposing yourself and building a brand for yourself is important. Whether it's a risk, whether it's calculated, get out there. Get out there, meet people, talk to people, learn from people, let your guard down. You know, don't, don't see yourself as an expert. I, even till today, I still won't consider myself a master in what I do. Yeah, you know, I, I have the next 10, 15, 20 years to keep going, keep improving. Every day, I'm constantly learning and you know, being able to join the Forbes Business Council and a couple of other uh, committees that I'm joining, um, you know, someone asked me, it's like, what kind of committee do you want to join, you know? And I said, I want to join a space that I have nothing, I have no idea about, right? I want to walk into a space where I can continuously learn, ask questions, and then I'll take that information and I'll, and I'll pass it off to my team. Hey guys, look what I learned today. Hey guys, you know, I learned about this today in this conversation. And then once I pass it off, everybody else starts learning about it and they pass it off, right? It's an information-based world. Um, so that's my piece of advice. Um, you know, find someone that you can learn from and, and really constantly ask questions and always look to evolve. Never be complacent, never be comfortable. We ourselves, and I can see most of, this, most of the people on this call right now, we're immigrants, right? And we have an immigrant mentality. And what I say is, we were always trained to believe that tomorrow everything can be taken away from you, right? And if you keep that mantra alive, 
it would actually be more of a benefit to you more than ever because you're constantly going to be getting more. After you get to one limit, you want to get to another because guess what? You never know when it's going to be taken away from you. So, um, you know, that's my two cents. Uh, you know, I, I, I really believe in that and uh, communication, asking the right questions is key. Great answer. Uh, the thing I would add to that is you made a comment about, um, you know, your mentor being right under your nose. Uh, another thing about mentors is people always think it's got to be someone older. Um, I talked to someone who's super wealthy and he gets mentored by like an 18 year old in like lacrosse or like some sport that he wanted to learn. It's like a 30 year old, 30 year gap, but he's getting mentored by this person younger. So that's like another thing for people to consider is like age is not a factor of like mentors. It's about how well they know a space. Like I might get a mentor on how to use TikTok because I have no idea how to use it. Absolutely. And the other thing is, yeah, so I, I would say that's the other one. And on the Sam front, it's too bad he didn't buy the Phoenix Suns, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> leave it at that. Uh, listen, we, we, we talk about it even till today, right? But, uh, uh, you know, those are the dreams, right? Like we're, we're dreamers and, and we got to constantly be uh, thinking about crazy things to do and others will think it's crazy, but we'll think it's reality. 100%. Well, Sai, I mean, appreciate you making time to share your story and for everyone that uh, came out today and will be listening to this video recording, appreciate you guys listening. And uh, that's the October edition of the Tamil Innovator Spotlight. Thank you, Ara. Thank you, Tamil Culture. I appreciate it.